0: We're Missy Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. So I had eaten nothing but dry salad with no dressing and some rice for energy and drank nothing but water for a couple months. And I had been running with garbage bags on me and spitting into an empty Gatorade bottle throughout all of my classes. I was 16 years old and wrestling was life. And as the captain of the varsity wrestling team, I showed up the night before a tournament we had to make sure we were all going to make weight. So we get to the locker room and everyone's making weight. I was making weight. Things were looking good. And then finally, my friend Nathan, who was late, shows up. He's the weight class right below me, and he steps on the scale, and he's got eight pounds to lose by the next morning. wasn't going to happen. We knew it. Now, wrestling is kind of an individual sport, so him being eight pounds overweight wouldn't have affected me in my matches the next day, as it was just me and my opponent on the mat at the time, right? And we could have said, man, tough break you messed up, right? You didn't do the work you're supposed to do. I know you're out partying and and you didn't take this seriously. You're just not gonna be able to wrestle tomorrow, except wrestling is also more of a team sport than most people realize because every single uh, win and point that each player is racking up accumulates for your team score and the team has a standing at the end of it. And as a team, you could win the tournament or lose it greatly or play somewhere in between. And so as a team, I knew we needed someone in every single one of our weight classes because if he had someone missing there, then that's just free points given away to the other teams and we lose those points. We needed someone in that spot. So I decided I was going to lose some more weight. He had eight to lose. It would have been five for me. I can do it. Nathan, switch with me. You're gonna wrestle at the weight class above and I'm gonna wrestle at the weight class below. So a sacrifice made for the sake of the team, for the sake of my teammate, so that he could still be involved. I was still mad as heck at him, right? And it still affected us because I was even weaker the next day when I got there on the mat. And he was even slower and weaker than his opponents who are all bigger than him with muscle, not with the weight he had put on, right? It affected us greatly. The ways that a team highlights for us how connected we are, are pretty profound. And it's amazing that even in our individualistic society, we see that in team sports pretty easily. How one team member on a field, on a court, and even on a mat can affect the entire team. And yet, we kind of disassociate from that in all other areas of our lives, don't we? That in all other areas of our lives, it's about the individual, Pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, hitting your goals, right? Hustling and staying on the grind to accomplish what you want, looking out for yourself and maybe for those in your household, right? For your family, your immediates. But the idea of how connected we are to one another, even just coming on Sunday mornings and sitting next to people that you see only on Sunday mornings, that's less true of us here right uh, as it is in most church buildings on sunday mornings but it's still there's still something there for us to hear as well we like to disassociate from that fact that we are absolutely connected to the people around us even in negative ways your your family your upbringing right who you grew up with sometimes there's beautiful ways in how you see that connection and how you, you take after your parents or you, you and your siblings have things in common. But sometimes it's a bad thing. Like, oh, there I go, sounding like my dad again, right? We're all connected because that's how God designed things. There's a great show on Disney Plus right now called Welcome to Earth with Will Smith. And no, it's not another movie of him battling aliens, Right? Actually, I just realized that might be where that title comes from, that line in Independence Day where he says, Welcome to Earth, and he punches that alien in the face. Anyway, it's an old movie. Uh, But Welcome to Earth is a National Geographic series. There's six episodes right now. And it's Will Smith and a team of these explorers who are taking him around and showing him different parts of Earth, different parts of the world that maybe many, many of us have never seen or we've never explored. So I just want to show four little clips that I stole from that show real quick and just get an idea of how we see in creation how connected God has made things. Let's watch this. I'm going to try to trigger them.
1: There's a sort of invisible barrier around a hive. It's about 20 inches away. Cross that line and something astonishing happens. It's a kind of defense strategy. If the bees spot a predator breaking through that perimeter, they flip their bodies, starting this massive chain reaction. It's like they're somehow all connected, and not just by touch, but like they're thinking as a single unit. On its own, each bee doesn't amount to much. But as a swarm, they can create something big enough or confusing enough to deter almost any attacker. Starlings can fly at 40 miles an hour. So to keep together in formation, they need the reactions of racing drivers especially as the other cars aren't just in front or behind they're above and below a hundred thousand birds racing around a constantly changing track without a single crash there are tiny dots of slime mold almost everywhere most of the time Slime mold just sits around, eating bacteria and making more slime mold. But when these single-celled organisms run out of food, something weird happens. Waves of restless energy ripple through the swarm. They join themselves together into a new creature. Many cells become one body. And then, when the pressure finally gets too much, they move. The musty smell isn't really the trees, it's more the fungi. When we think of fungus, we think of a single mushroom. But that's just the fruit of something much bigger. It's like a giant spider web weaving between the tree roots. The strands connect the forest to such an extent that the trees can pass water, nutrients, even messages between each other.
0: All right, how many of you feel like your skin's crawling after watching the slime mold? Sorry about that, it's National Geographic for you. I just, I I watched that show and I'm always amazed at how incredible of a creator we have. And I I don't think that's the tone on the set uh, for most of the people putting that show together. Man, when you know that and you just you sit and you watch that and see it for what it is, that from these great big things to these small things, the intricacies that are involved in what our creator has put together. But you see all those, and it's a reminder of how connected so many different things throughout creation are, connected to one another. And it's almost ridiculous for us to think that we're different from that, that we are these solo individuals right? And, and yes, we have this personal relationship with God through Jesus and his spirit dwelling within us. But when we stop right there, we are missing out on so much, right? When we stop right there, uh, maybe this is an extreme, but it's almost just like slime mold that just sits there and does nothing. When you form together, as the Bible says, many parts making one body, just like they describe the slime mold how incredible that can become. And we, we know that God, at the very beginning of all things, made us to be together too, because it tells us that. So in Genesis two eighteen, we read from Genesis last week uh, that when God forms the man out of the dirt and the misty water, he's got this muddy clay, and he forms a man, he breathes his own breath into, he says, this is good. He's been saying this is good for seven days straight, right? And then, Genesis 2, 18 comes down to this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper or partner corresponding to him. It's the first time God saw something was not good. And it wasn't, it wasn't after the rebellion of sin had come in. This was before that. God says, this is not good that the man would be alone. Now, the man's not really alone because God would come down and walk and talk with him in the day. But but why was it not good for the man to be alone? Because Genesis 1 tells us in the story of God creating the man and the woman as well. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God who existed eternally in community, Father, the Son, the Word, and the Spirit. That sounded like I named four, the, the Word of God who became the Son of God later, Jesus. three. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, existing eternally in perfect community as one. Decides to make a living statue, a representation of him to display to the rest of creation what he's like. And he goes, it's not good for there to just be one person. So what does he do? Out of the side of the man. So they're, they're connected. They're one. I was having this conversation with my sons the other day because they're identical twins. I was like, you guys remember you were actually one being at one time. It's like, no, we don't remember that. Of course you don't remember that. But remember, we've talked about this, right? You you were one cell, you were one being, organism that split into two. It's crazy. And they're two distinct, unique human beings now. That's what happened at creation. God took this one human and Let's make a second one out of that. But they're so connected, and they're meant to live life together as one. Two distinct people moving through life as one in unity would be a more accurate picture of what God himself is like. Three distinct people moving in complete unity as one. So if this is meant to be the representation of God, it's not good for one of them only to live solo. That's still the case. It is, God still looks at his world and at his humanity, and he says, it is not good for this person to be alone. That doesn't mean everyone has to get married, right? <laughs> That's often what we look at the scripture as, and we go, oh, okay, so we need to, in the church is like pushed marriage as like the epitome, the goal of Christianity, of your faith. Like marriage is a beautiful thing, but what God is designing is for humans to come together in community in unity, moving as one. And of course, we know that it doesn't stay that way, that when the humans rebel against God, that they disconnect themselves from him, from his ways, from him being the one who forms them and shapes them, that there also becomes a a crack in their own relationship with one another, that there's a separation there, right? And the same kind of separation that happens with the creation, the created world that they're supposed to care for. They go and they run and they hide from each other right away no longer together the way God created them to be. And so God throughout history has been on a mission to reunite, to bring humans back together with him, but also back together with one another. And that's why when he decides to call a people to be his representation, like he did with the first man, he starts with a man, but he builds it into a family. He calls Abraham. But he says, now you and your wife, Sarah, you're going to have a child. And then that child, this family will grow into a great nation. It doesn't stay at an individual. It moves to a couple, to a family, to a nation of people. That then God says, now you're to be a salt and a light to all the nations of the world. To invite the other nations into this community. This continues to spread and spread like slime mold but maybe a little bit more beautiful than that. Until we get to what we read last week in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. This is gonna be our main text again for this week as it was last week, but seeing a different aspect of it. The church has been formed. Jesus has come. He has shown people the way to God through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. The same spirit, that breathed life into him and raised him from the grave. He sent, the father sent that spirit to come and be on those who follow Jesus. And then this guy, Paul, who starts following Jesus after Jesus already died and rose and ascended to heaven, he, filled with the spirit, is writing this letter to a bunch of people scattered throughout Rome who are trying to learn what it looks like to follow Jesus. And as they're trying to learn what it looks like to follow Jesus in an oppressive country, and people who are, are ruling over them and saying, no, 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 Caesar is actually the Lord over all things. And you should bow down to him and worship him and worship our gods. Paul writes this to them. He spent chapters and chapters, 11 chapters of reminding them of the good news of what Jesus has done. And he says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The good news here that Jesus has saved us is supposed to bring a transformation, but not only that, he calls them to do this life together. He starts with brothers and sisters. There's a familial interaction there. Now, I used to read, this was like my life first growing up, like as a Christian. I was like, oh, this is, and I read it as an individual. Present my body as a living sacrifice to God. This is my form of worship to God. But that's not what it says. When he says that word you, it's the plural Greek word for you. There's the Greek word for you as an individual is S-U, su. But when I'm not just talking to Steve, I'm talking to both him and Tammy, I'm gonna say S-Y-C. It's like all y'all. Present all y'all's bodies. And that word body there in the Greek is soma, but when it's plural, the the form it's used here is somata. And it doesn't just mean like the many bodies you have, Cindy, because you only have one, right? Remember, he's writing to church leaders throughout Rome. And elsewhere, Peter, Paul, all the apostles would refer to the group of followers of Jesus as a body. And what he's saying to these church leaders in Rome is present your many bodies, present each of your bodies, your little home churches that you're leading, present those bodies, bodies of believers as a living sacrifice to God. This is a theme that is current all the way through scripture. I want to read one more to you. It's in first Peter, I believe. First or second, first Peter two. First Peter two, verses nine and 10. Peter writes this after reminding this group of people about the good news that Jesus has brought them into the family of God. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And you know what he's doing there is he's quoting This is not something new to them. He's quoting the Old Testament scriptures that they had, Deuteronomy and Exodus. You are a chosen race. That's a whole group of people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Do you know when he calls us a royal priesthood, do you know what that means? Like we are representatives specifically of Jesus in that moment. Jesus, who is king over all of creation. We are his royal representatives. Jesus, who is the priest, the ultimate priest, who mediated, that's what priests do, who mediated between us and God and brought us near to God. We are his priestly representation who are called to be mediators now to the world, showing people what Jesus is like and bringing them to him. So if we're supposed to emulate Jesus and display what he's like to be his representation, then let's look at what Jesus said. Let's look at what Jesus did. And right before Jesus went to the cross on our behalf, he prayed for us. This is in John 17. I have that on the screen. And this is how Jesus prayed for you and I. And he says this as he's praying to the the father. He says, I don't just pray for those who are with me right now. I pray for all those who are to come into the faith too. He says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. Remember that unity we talked about before creation that existed? May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. That's Jesus's prayer for us, that we would be one together, that we would be one with him that we would be with him and the father. Complete unity, like that fungi underneath the trees, like that slime mold that's sitting everywhere in this room right now. And you probably are mad at me for bringing it back up because it's making your skin crawl again. Like those bee swarms that were moving all in unison. This is what God has designed for us. Now, listen, I don't have three tips for how you can do this better. What I have is what we started with. Let's pray as Jesus prayed for us. Let's pray for the unity of the spirit that would transcend our differences, that would bind us together as one in Christ alone. Father, we ask that you would do that for us. Make us one by your work, by your spirit, by your grace. Unite us together, unite us with the Father in the power of Jesus, and by the Spirit we pray these things. Amen.